Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Alternate Oscars. I am your host, Gabe Guarin, and with every episode, I, along with a special guest, will be celebrating and awarding our favorite films of each year, starting in 1928 and going onwards. We'll discuss and reward our favorite oh, sorry. We'll discuss our brief thoughts on each film we nominate and comment on the actual Oscar year and We'll be strictly following the reminder list of eligible releases. Those can be found on the website and the Oscar goes too. And the amount of categories will also change and evolve over time as it's over time to the Academy's evolution over time. Joining me today will be returning guest Owen Daly. Um, they are an avid Oscar follower and author of the An Irish Person Awards blog. Welcome back, Owen. It's so Exciting to have you back on this podcast. Yeah, no, thank you for having me back on. Um, it's always great to pop by, whether it's discussing a film you're like we're discussing today, or even last time I was on when we discussed a great Gene Arthur movie. Yeah, it's always great to discuss a Gene Arthur movie. Um, so um, how are you doing today? How's your day been? Yeah, good. I mean, I was... I was kind of spending the day re-watching some of my favourite movies in preparation for the pod. Um, and it's funny that I did mention Jean Arthur because there is obviously a major kind of... Her last kind of major film came out this year in Shane, which I'm sure we'll discuss in some form or another. Absolutely. Yeah. That sounds... um. Very nice. I've just been, well, off topic, but last night I was at a concert for my friend's band, and I've just been the past couple of days putting together my list and deciding who are, who's going to be my winners. And in the midst of that, I'm watching some boring movies from 1954 in preparation for the... Um, for the next episode. Um, in particular, The High and the Mighty and The Barefoot Contessa. Uh, which I'm sure we'll, I'm sure I'll get to you on um, the next year. But today we are going to be talking about the films of 1953. And um, the question I always ask my guess beforehand is what were your favorite films from this year that were not eligible? This can be any film that was released in 1953, but was not on our minor list of eligible releases for 1953. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of great international movies from 1953 that would be eligible, but just in later years, I think mainly of all those for me is um, Max Orpheus's The Earrings of Madame D. Um, I just adore that movie and think it's one of the great French films of this decade and I I think it was eligible the following year in 54 and so it, it does get its moment to shine in my best of that year but I think that's the kind of major film that I wish had been eligible because it would have definitely filled out a lot of these categories for me. That was one I didn't get a chance to get around to, and I wish I had. 
But I did see another um, revered French film from this year that was at least released this year. But um, it's called The Wages of Fear, directed by the great Henri Jorge Closots. At least I think that's how you pronounce his name. And it's just a great little thriller. And then there's obviously Tokyo Story, which is obviously like this um, highly highly influential movie. Yeah, um, there's a lot of great movies to talk about here. Um, so I guess now it's time to announce our nominees. As usual, we start with the last category, special effects, and end with the first one, best picture. And we take turns announcing our nominees with the guests going first. So, Owen, would you like to take it away with best special effects? Yeah, um, my five choices for special effects that year would have been The Beast from 20,000 Phantoms, The Cruel Sea, Split Split Second, uh, Titanic, not the 1997 version, the 1953 version, and then The War of the Worlds. Nice. I think those are all representative of how of where special effects were in 1953. And they're fascinating as a time capsule in that vein. My nominees are The Beast from 20,000 uh, Fathoms, um, The Cruel Sea, The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T, Titanic, and The War of the Worlds. Yeah, I mean, we have a very similar list um, with only one difference between us. So I guess I don't really have much to say in terms of, oh, I think anything was missaid because it's very much, to me, these are the clear choices this year. Yeah. Um, I could say the 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T is interesting for being um, co-written. I think it was the story was written by Dr. Seuss. And it does kind of feel like that. And also it was produced by Stanley Kramer. <laughs> um, which... I would say interesting, like, considering my general knowledge of him as a sort of message filmmaker. But, yeah, I think I underestimate how prolific he was as a producer. So next we have Best Film Editing. Um, so for me, my choices for film editing would be The Big Heat, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Pick Up on South Street, Shane, and then The Winner of the Worlds. Nice. That's a good list. Um, my nominees are From Here to Eternity, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Pick Up on South Street, Roman Holiday, and Shane. Yeah, again, there's crossover between both our lists and while from here to attorney Roman Holiday didn't make my list personally, it's hard not to see them as great movies from this year. Um, yeah, I mean, 
it's sometimes I struggle in choosing nominees here because what really defines great film editing, I guess, is it shock compositions? Is it pace? Is it um, just how quick a film feels? But for me in making these choices here, I think it just boiled down to what were the films I felt worked the best, like as a whole composition. And that's what ended up being my um, choices in film editing. That makes sense. So next we have best makeup and hairstyling. Yeah, and I'd go with The Big Heat, Calamity Jane, From Here to Eternity, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and the great 1950s horror movie House of Wax. Very nice. I like all the choices here. Um, my nominees are The Big Heat, Calamity Chain, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, House of Wax, and The Importance of Being Earnest. Yeah, yeah those are great choices. I mean, it's when you have a category like this of best makeup and many choices can be, great choices can be made this year that you always question why it took another 28 years for them to finally introduce the category. Um, we have, again, a very similar list, except for maybe one nominee between us. But still, yeah. it's just great seeing such makeup at this early stage in filmmaking. Well, not really early stage, but this earlier stage in filmmaking than yeah. the Academy decided to introduce the category. And hairstyling as well. Like the, um, like the fabulous hairstyles of Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell on full display and gentlemen prefer blondes. Absolutely. And I think when it comes to this category, hairstyling is always under discussed and people always gravitate towards prosthetic makeup makeup artistry as being the kind of main part of why films deserve a nomination in this category. But it being titled makeup and hairstyling, really I think more appreciation should be given for great hairstyling because when it's bad hairstyling, you really know when it's a very telling wig or it's just a feature where you're always questioning the choices, that hairstyling shouldn't be overlooked when it's great. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so next we have best sound or sound recording, whatever it was called back then. Yeah, so my choices um, would be Calamity Jane, From Here to Eternity, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, The War of the Worlds, and The Wild One. And as it's very telling from these first couple of categories, there's a lot of similar films for me. And I think whether it's a great musical in the likes of Calamity Jane or Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, or great war epics, or great sci-fi films, there's just a lot of great sound being done in this particular year. I have a very similar, I have um, a similar list. I have The Cruel Sea, From Here to, to, from here to Eternity, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, The War of the Worlds, and The Wild One. And here I swapped out Calamity Jane with another war epic. Yeah, I mean, it's, while I, 
personally have chosen Calamity Jane, picking a war epic like The Cruel Sea isn't a surprising choice because from it making my special effects list, it's clearly a film of great technical achievement in the genre that it's built on. Definitely. It is very technically sound. But speaking of technically sound, let's talk about costume design now. Yeah, so my choices for costume design would be The Bandwagon, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, How to Marry a Millionaire, The Importance of Being Earnest, and Roman Holiday. And I feel with this category, it's especially from the films I've chosen, it kind there's a lot of great costuming going on. When I think about the kind of highs, the high achievements, there's always that one kind of iconic costume, whether it's um the any of the costumes really, and I guess in Jennifer Fair Blondes, but I think mainly of the very well-known pink dress for the Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. I think of in Roman Holiday, just the general attire that um, Hepburn wears throughout, or even in the importance of being earnest, there's some great period costuming being, being done here. And I think while this may, in a modern sense, come off as a fully period category, you have to think about these films being set kind of at the time they were made. So they were very much kind of a contemporary version of costume design at the time. Yeah, absolutely good points. Like it is always important to think of these um, uh, these sorts of costumes in the context of when these films were released. When you look at um, even the actual nominees that were chosen, you've got stuff like, um, you know, the robe winning costume design color that is something that would have been seen as not contemporary, distinctly period in the eyes of some uh, of viewers from 1953, I would assume. So it's not surprising to be that something like that one. Uh, so my nominees are the bandwagon from here to eternity, gentlemen prefer blondes, the importance of being earnest, and Roman holiday. Yeah, I mean, those are again some really good choices. It's, it's no, I mean, while I don't necessarily like to spit films based on if they were filmed in Technicolor or black and white, seeing that the Academy at the time was awarding films to, based on how they were filmed it led to a lot of great nominees. You can see from our list that it's varied in it being either shot in Technicolor or black and white, meaning that costume design in both types of filmmaking can be just as great as the other. Definitely. And I, um, I do, when thinking about why they would, oh, why they split it in, split all the text between black and white and color. I do think it was a matter of how they were presented in each of those in each of those films that really made the difference. 
it isn't just about how the uh, whether they're shot in black and white or the color is that how you could make them appear visually striking in that in both mediums. So in that sense, it kind of makes sense why they split both categories, at least somewhat to me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a different task in filming in black and white where, say, you are working with color, but also wanting the color to come off as what you want it to be while filming in black and white, say, using not the color that's possibly mentioned about the costume and using, say, a separate color that would read more that color when filmed in black and white. And I'm thinking of whenever they terribly recolor older black and white movies and you just are kind of left gross by these very unnatural colors and it just goes to show how while while I enjoy comparing both with each other it definitely is a different task when filming in black and white versus say in color definitely so next we have best color cinematography Yeah, I mean, again, I'm um, deciding to combine black and white and color cinematography for myself. So the five that I would go for would be The Big Heat, From Here to Eternity, The Hitchhiker, Niagara, and Shane. Nice. That's a good selection of a variation between color and black and white and is a good representation of both mediums. So for best color cinematography, I have The Bandwagon, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Niagara, The Robe, and Shane. Yeah, I mean, you made a lot of great choices there. I mean, while I didn't find place for a film like Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, I can't deny that. That also has great um, photography. Yeah. And even The Rope, which is um, a very bad movie. Um, I can see why people went and saw in theaters. Like, it, even seeing it on, like, my TV, like, this, I really felt a sense of scale with that movie. And I was surprised by how well the CinemaScope holds up. That's maybe like the only aspect of the movie that holds up besides another aspect of the movie I nominated. So I'll get to that when we get to that. So yeah, good job, Leon Chanroy. You you did a good job. You did a good job polishing this turd. That is the rope. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my um, black and white cinematography nominees are the Big Heat, From Here to Eternity, Pick Up on South Street, I Confess, and Roman Holiday. And yeah, I just felt good about these nominees. And I was especially glad that I got around to seeing um, the Hitchcock movie from this year, I confess, 
which might um, feature Montgomery Clift as the hottest priest um, ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, definitely until, say, the recent season of Fleabag, where um, Andrew Scott... Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I confess it's definitely one of Hitchcock's underrated movies when you look at the films he was making at the time. It's definitely the most kind of under-discussed film. And I like that you included it because it it is good. And I think if people check it out, um, they might find a lot of enjoyment in it. So next we have Best Art Direction Set Decoration. Yeah, and my choices are The Bandwagon, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, How to Marry a Millionaire, sorry, How to Marry a Million, The Importance of Being Earnest, and The Story of Three Loves. Nice. So um, my nominees are The Bandwagon, From Here to Eternity, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, How to Marry a Millionaire, and The Importance of Being Earnest. Yeah, I mean, great choices all around, whether it's period pieces like Importance of Being Earnest or more contemporary stories like war epics, like something like A Fire from Here to Eternity. There's a lot of great art direction and set direction going on this year. And next we have Best Song. Yeah, so for me, um, the five nominees I'd have to go for would be That's Entertainment from The Bandwagon, Blue Gardenia from The Blue Gardenia, That's Amore from The Caddy, Secret Love from Calamity Jane, and Anyone Here for Love from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And I think this is kind of, I mean, it's a list of film, it's a list of songs like this that makes me always happy that this category is in existence because there's always great songs in films. You just kind of have to search for them. I mean, when I think of the musical number that is Anyone Here for Love from Gentlemen Fur Blondes and how just kind of outrageous it is and how infectious the song is, I just really enjoy having this category included every year. And even if I think about something like the eventual Oscar winner in Secret Love from Calamity Jane, an already previously made musical, including this original song that feels totally in tune with everything else going on and has for decades later become an anthem for many queer people in how they show their love for someone through song. And I think it's just a wonderful example of how important music can be in film. Um, you're um, absolutely, um, like all those points are, um, like all those points stand true for a ton of reasons in a ton of contexts. And looking through, like, um, just, just searching through, um, trying to put this list together, I ended up with the same list as you. Anyone here for love from Gentlemen for Blondes, Blue Gardenia from the Blue Gardenia, Secret Love from Calamity Chain, That's Amore, Caddy, and That's Entertainment from the Bandwagon. 
Yeah, I mean, 1953 is definitely a great year for musical filmmaking based on how three of the films here are musical adaptations. But even when you have, say, films like The Blue Gardenia and The Caddy, which I would say are definitely the least known of the films, having a song like That's More stick with everyone in the con- in the public in the pop culture years later shows how it only really takes one song to kind of make a film at least googleable and when anyone sees yeah. that this song earned the film a nomination they then go check it out maybe they might not be left with the greatest of films but at least they'll understand the context in which the song originally premiered definitely true So next we have Best Original Score. And for original score, I'd have to go with From Here to Eternity, I Confess, The Robe, Roman Holiday, and Shane. For my nominees, I have From Here to Eternity, The Naked Spur, The Robe, Roman Holiday, and Shane. I mean, again, our lists are fairly similar, minus one difference in nominees. So I guess we just have very similar tastes when it comes to the best movies of this year from what we've seen. I suppose so. And next we have best cartoon short film. Or... You go first, sorry. Um, I I actually don't have any nominees for this wow. category. I, I didn't get to see any um short cartoons, but I'm fairly happy to hear what your list for the nominees are. I was um lazy and was preoccupied with other things, so I just saw four of the films from um the actual nominees I have from A to Z Z Z Z, um Rugged Bear. The Telltale Heart, Toot, Whistle, Plunk, and Boom. It's probably not ideal, but... Um, um, sometimes you got to cut corners. <laughs> <laughs> and next we have Best International Film. Yeah, so I get when it comes to international film, rather than going by the films released in their original years, which I know is the kind of eligibility rules that the Academy goes by. I just decided to go with the international films that were on the eligibility list this year. So my nominees would be Bellissima, uh, Cast Dior, and The Forbidden Christ. Nice. I've only seen more of those, um, Bellissima, which I'll get to a few categories later, but my nominees are I Vitaloni, Tokyo Story, and The Wages of Fear. Yeah, I mean, very great films there. Um, I love The Wages of Fear. I love Tokyo Story. I do find room for them in later years based on their kind of American and their US release dates, but as we've mentioned from the very beginning, there's a lot of strong international movies this year that sadly weren't eligible in a lot of the 
non-international or foreign language film as it was titled the time categories. So next we have best adapted screenplay. And for adapted screenplay, my choices would be The Big Heat, From Here to Eternity, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, I Confess, and Shane. And my nominees are The Big Heat, From Here to Eternity, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, The Importance of Being Earnest, and Shane. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great movies here that just happen to all be adapted from previous material. I mean, even something like Important to Be in Earnest, which didn't make my list, is still a great adaptation of a very famous play and a very well-known play. And next we have Best Original Screenplay. And for original screenplay, my choices would be The Bandwagon, The Naked Spur, Niagara, Pick Up on, Sec on South Street, and Roman Holiday. And my nominees are The Bandwagon, The Hitchhiker, The Naked Spur, Pick Up on South Street, and Roman Holiday. Yeah, some great choices. Again, we're four for five when it comes to nominees in this category. And even say something like The Hitchhiker, which you've chosen instead of myself, is a great movie, which I've discussed already and we'll discuss in the following category as well. Yeah, and I like your mentions, uh, your mention of um, Niagara, which I found um, a very entertaining sort of film noir with Marilyn Monroe. And I also couldn't make room for um, something like Little Fugitive, which is just a um, charming little indie film made in the 50s that actually got um, a motion picture story nomination. Yeah, I mean, Niagara is certainly the least discussed of Marilyn's films from this particular year. And it's definitely not what you'd expect from her at this kind of, I would say, leading breakout moment in her career. I mean, she'd been in some great films the previous, the preceding years, but this was kind of the year where her leading star image kind of launched. And Niagara is definitely a film that if you're a fan of Monroe's work should be checked out. So next we are into the acting categories, best supporting actress. And for best supporting actress, my lineup would be Nanette Fabre from The Bandwagon, Gloria Graham from The Big Heat, Celia Johnson from The Captain's Paradise, Aline Ann McLeary from Calamity Jane, and Thelma Ritter from Pick Up on South Street. Um, admittedly, looking at the Academy's list, it's a really kind of disappointing list of women for me. And I think having only Ritter be the crossover nominee for me shows how there was just so many other choices that the Academy could have made, but based on how kind of overlooked their films were, they just were never fully considered 
but I would definitely consider them amongst basically any of the other nominees the Academy chose. Um, yeah, that is um, a fair point. Um, so uh, my nominees are Celia Johnson in The Captain's Paradise, Donna Reed in From Here to Eternity, Selma Ritter in Pick Up on South Street, Janet Lee in The Naked Spur, and Edith Evans in The Importance of Being Earnest. Yeah, I mean, I, Dame, oh. You, oh, sorry, you go ahead. You go ahead, you go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would say Dame Edith Evans' work in earnest is definitely, has stood the test of time. And while she doesn't make my list, I can understand why someone would make the choice of including her in this category. And when looking at the overall year, I did consider... Um, Gerald, um, some, um, I did also consider like Geraldine Page for Hondo, even though I know a lot of people consider her more a lead. And I also considered maybe Deborah Karn from Your Tweet Eternity, who was, um, a Best Actress nominee this year, but really she's more supporting. But at the end of the day, these were the five, um, um, supporting women, I thought, did the best job. But next, we have Best Supporting Actor. And my choices would be Marlon Brando in Julius Caesar, Jack Buchanan in The Bandwagon, Lee Marvin in The Big Heat, Otto Preminger in Salag 17, and William Tallman in The Hitchhiker. And um, as is clear, I've decided to downgrade, well, not downgrade, but place Brando in the more fitting supporting actor category for me. I feel his Mark Anthony, while a big performance, is not necessarily the lead of Julius Caesar. And then the rest of my list is filled out with great character actors in Jack Buchanan or Lee Marvin even. And then definitely under-discussed performances in Otto Preminger the great director who delivered a great acting performance in Static 17 or and William Tallman in The Hitchhiker, who for sure is probably the least known performances based on how kind of underseen I feel The Hitchhiker is. It is a performance that I don't think should be missed. Definitely true on all counts. Um, my nominees are Lee Marvin and Big Keats. William Tallman in The Hitchhiker, John Gielgud in Julius Caesar, Marlon Brando in Julius Caesar, and Robert Ryan in The Naked Spur. I did want, I did um, consider where do I um, fit someone like Frank Sinatra into this who won the Oscar, but um, I ultimately felt these were the five I wanted to settle on. And William Tallman, I believe, actually campaigned um, for an Oscar nomination. And he stated in, in interviews he believes he deserved an Oscar nomination. And clearly we agree with him. Yeah, I mean, 
when you look at the men who made the list over him, it's a bit questionable for me. I mean, while I enjoy Brandon DeWild and Shane or the winner Frank Sinatra and From Here to Eternity, none of the men who eventually made the Oscars list kind of compare in any way to the work that Talman or the other four who make my list are delivering on. True. Um, so next we have Best Leading Actress, the one that really matters. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a big category whenever anyone discusses their personal nominees. And I had the very easy decision in not listing any of the women eventually nominated, as I feel it's possibly one of the weakest assembled lists the Academy has ever made which is why my five women who I would have preferred seeing would be Doris Day in Calamity Jane, Anna Magnani in Bellissima, Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell in Jennifer Blondes, and Barbara Stanwyck in All I Desire. That's a good list. Um, I enjoy all the ladies you just mentioned here. And these are all um, these are all um, great performances from them. Like, I just really enjoy Doris Day's infectious energy and Barbara Stanwyck's just sheer charisma. And then there's Russell Monroe and Nani, all of them fantastic. Uh, my nominees are Anna McNani and Bellissima. Gloria Graham in The Big Heats, Jane Russell in Gentlemen Before Blondes, Marilyn Monroe in Gentlemen Before Blondes, and Audrey Hepburn in Roman Holiday. Yeah, I mean, as is clear now, you've gone with Graham in lead versus me with her in supporting. It's definitely one of those roles, I think, that you can go either way on. And for me, it's understandable. I mean... Graham was definitely one of the biggest stars of this year, uh, or sorry, of this decade, based on the amount of great films that she made. So placing her lead, I totally understand. And even though I say the category Eric Oscars chose is quite weak, Hepburn is definitely the best amongst them for me. Yeah, it's uh, when you um, watch her performance, you can definitely see why this made her uh this was this launched her into being this international icon and rightfully so so next we have best leading actor which yeah, always so. leaves us with the task of doing a better job in the academy <laughs> yeah i mean for my leading actor category, I'd have to go with Marlon Brando in The Wild One, Monty Clift in From Here to Eternity, Glenn Ford in The Big Heat, James Mason in Julius Caesar, and J Jimmy Stewart in The Naked Spur. And now having revealed both acting actor uh, categories, it it's shows that Brando becomes one of the kind of rare double nominees in one year for me. And I think the wild one 
I feel like more people are familiar with the image of him in it than his actual performance because it definitely, while an important movie to his filmography, is very under-discussed based on how kind of under-rewarded it was at the time. And then while Clift is the Clift remain is the only man that makes my list from the Oscar nominees, I have to admit it's definitely not an entirely horrible list of leading actor nominees, which is something I rarely say, which is something I rarely say. And I think while he's the only one who makes my list, I can't be too upset at the eventual, the choices the Academy made at the time. I would agree, like of the um, real list, the only real black mark I would say would be Richard Burton in The Robe, which is um, um, not one of his better performances. We'll just I'll say that. Um, but um, and yeah, with Marlon Brando, it um that that image of him in the Wild One with the leather jackets and the cap. It it really cemented him as this anti-establishment, almost proto-counterculture figure. And clearly like the image of like the greaser with the leather jacket as endured and also has another great Lee Marvin supporting performance from this year. So Yeah, it's an important movie, and we're discussing only Marvin performance that isn't Cat Baloo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I well, I'm sure you'll eventually get to 65 yeah. with someone and see if they decide to award him for that Oscar winning turn. <laughs> it's still Walter, he's at the one for that. But we'll get to that. Um, my nominees are Montgomery Cliff from Gear to Eternity, Michael Redgrave in The Importance of Being Earnest, James Mason and Julius Caesar, Richard Widmark on Pick Up, uh, Richard Widmark in Pick Up on South Street, and William Holden in Stalag Seventeen. Yeah, I mean some great choices there. Um. I enjoy Redgrave's work and Holden's work as well. While he's not my personal choice for the leading actor trophy that year, it's definitely not a terrible performance, which is something that I enjoy saying about the leading actor winners. Yeah, when I saw this movie, um, like my video thought was like, this guy radiates coolness. I get it. I get why... um, um, I get why he was like this sex symbol in the 50s. So next we have Best Director. So for a director, I'd have to go with Howard Hawks, the always inventive and diverse filmmaker for Jenna Fur Blondes, Fritz Lang for The Big Heat, Ida Lupino for The Hitchhiker, George Stevens for Shane, and Lucino Visconti for Bellissima. 
Nice. That's a great list. And I like the Ida Lupino mention. But my nominees are Lucino Visconti for Bellissima, Fritz Lang for The Big Heats, Fred Zinnemann for From Here to Eternity, Howard Hawks for Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and Anthony Mann for The Naked Spur. Yeah, I mean, great uh, films and directors listed among series as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I had to choose Ida Lupino. Um, I think at this stage, there's still a lot of films I have to see, but I think she becomes the kind of first female director that I would want to award with a nomination amongst my personal awards. And while she may not have been fully considered, while she may not have been admired to the level I think she should have been at her time, it's definitely a a monumental work, The Hitchhiker is and continues to be. And if people check it out, I don't know how they could say otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. She was like a just um, on your uh, just missed for me, and would have been the first for female director. Um, I would have nominated since Dorothy Arsner, who on uh, who um, I nominated very very early in this podcast, like the second episode. Oh, and I'd be uh, and and since I'm brought up Arsner, I would be remiss to not at least give a shout out to Dance Girl Dance, the great movie she made in 1940 with a great Lucille Ball performance. So check that out. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, with being in the Ricardos being such the kind of big awards contender this year, checking out Lucille Ball in probably her greatest cinematic. Um, achievement, it's definitely worth the watch for Ball, but also for Arzner, who's yeah, such the hardworking director that de- nearly a hundred years removed from her kind of peak in filmmaking is someone to always be appreciated, I think. Definitely. So next is the big one, Best Picture. Yeah, so my choices are Bellissima, The Big Heat, Calamity Jane, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and Shane. And mine are From Here to Eternity, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, The Naked Spur, Pick Up on South Street, and Roman Holiday. Yeah, I mean, I guess neither of our choices are surprising if you consider the categories we've nominated these five films in along the way and um, the naked spur and roman holiday are definitely amongst my top 10 films of this year so them being included is not something that i can have had any hard feelings towards and now it's time to announce our winners from this year, starting with the last category, special effects, and ending with the first category, best picture. And as always, we take turns announcing all these with the guests going first. 
So yeah, Owen, would so, you like to take it? Of course. So for special effects, my winner would be The War of the Worlds with special shout out to Ervil Burks, Jan DeMella, Gordon Jennings, Wallace Kelly, Paul Lippe, and Irwin Roberts. Um, I think this film has definitely stood the test of time for its special effects. And while we all know the story based on many of its iterations, I think this 53 adaptation is so great to enjoy. And definitely while dated in the level of effects, it still is a great example of how high achieving effects could be at the time. Definitely true. And my winner is also War of the Worlds for all the reasons that you mentioned. Like being so innovative for its time and all that. So next we have best film editing. And so for film editing, my winner would have to be Hugh S. Fowler for Gem Prefer Blondes. Um, this film is just so enjoyable. At a short running time of only 91 minutes, the pace never ends. I'm, you're never bored. You're constantly amazed by all the visuals going on, the witty dialogue, the sensational musical numbers. I think Fowler's work in collaboration with the rest of the production team is so wonderful and should be appreciated, which is why it wins my film editing prize. Uh, an abs- a definitely worthy choice, but I had to go with From Here to Eternity, which was the Oscar winner that year. Um, for the way William Lyon edits all the war scenes, character moments, and works really well with the sound. I think it's just a masterwork of editing. Yeah, I mean, From Here to Eternity is definitely not a film that should be looked as horrible because it won. I think it's a good film, a really good film and a really good example of major motion picture filmmaking from this time. And having rewatched it for the second time today, I'm definitely more confident in my positive feelings towards it than, say, maybe I was when I watched it I, last a decade ago, I would say. So next we have best makeup and hairstyling. And so for makeup and hairstyling, I have to go with Gordon Bow for House of Wax. It's definitely flashy makeup for sure. And I think while a lot of the great films I nominated alongside it, it was the easy choice for me this year. And I also have to go with House of Wax. Um, just for sure, I could not be. So next we have best sound. So for sound, again, I am awarding Gem Prefer Blonde, specifically Roger Heeman and E. Clayton Ward for their great sound work on the film. It's sometimes easy to award musicals in this category. 
based on how much sound is on display. But I think Gentlemen uh, Blondes really took the win for me based on how crisp everything sounded, how clean everything was, how to the beat every gesture, every movement was. And I think it's a really worthy film of this prize. Definitely. Um, uh, my winner would have to be From Here to Eternity, just for, again, the war scenes and the explosions. Uh, and again, the iconography and the influence it has on later films. It had to be this one, for me at least. So next we have Best Color Cinematography. Um, so I guess my overall cinematography winner this year ended up being a color film in Shane, specifically for Loyal Griggs' work. I think the iconography and images of this film are very recognizable. I mean, Westerns, Western kind of inspired films to this day still reference images from cinematography, uh, from Shane. I mean, if you look at, say, Logan from four or five years ago, basically ripped off a lot of the um, emotional beats from the end of Shane and how it was filmed. And I think the work definitely still stands strong today. Absolutely true. Um, so for best color cinematography, I go with Shane. Just for the influence it's had on Westerns in terms of visual storytelling and visual language. And for best black and white cinematography, I go with From Here to Eternity. Just for making this uh, World War II setting feel operatic. And it's easy to dismiss it because um I'll get to more of it later, but um but yeah, it just looks amazing. Um so next we have best art direction set decoration. So for my winner, it have to be the bandwagon with mainly art direction done by Preston Ames and the great and always working Cedric Gibbons. I think the film, I mean, relies on set changes being done quickly. And I think every single set piece in this film is marvelous. And it really uses its art direction, set direction pretty uh, cleverly. Definitely true. Um... But I had to go with um, my winner in our direction is Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. I just think of all the iconic set pieces and, you know, like the porthole scene, the porthole window scene, and the red room in which Marilyn Monroe does her famous number. 
just the distinctive settings. It all looks just stunning. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a very worthy choice. And we're not for the bandwagon. It will probably be my runner-up amongst my nominees. Um, as you mentioned, there's so many iconically um, designed sets and buildings. I mean, it's crazy to think that the majority of this film takes place on a boat and just how inventive the designers were with this universe is just so wonderful to behold. Definitely true. So next we have best song. Um, so for best song, while a strong list, a very easy choice for me was Secret Love from Calamity Jane and um, with music by Sammy Fain and lyrics by Paul Francis Webster. As I mentioned, when reading the list of nominees, this song has become an anthem for many um, struggling individuals who yearn for love. And I think the song has its place in history and it being an Oscar winner proves why the category should exist because you get ingenious songs like this winning. They're just so wonderful and so beyond anything that, say, the original authors could have imagined when crafting the song for the film. Definitely true. Um, but my winner is That's Entertainment from the band Wagon. Just for capturing the satirical nature of the, um, the movie and just for summing it up so well. Um, the movie in terms of its lyrical structure I think it's just a genius composition uh, written by Howard Schwartz and Arthur Dietz or I think it's Arthur Dietz, um, Howard Dietz and Arthur Schwartz I'm not sure yeah no you're right there with the second combination of the names um so next we have best original score. Um, for original score, I have to go as Victor Young for Shane. I mean, those composed beats of music throughout are fairly well known. I think it really adds to the atmosphere of the film. And this ended up being a very easy choice for me in Young's score for Shane. Um, he, uh, um, that would be a deserving winner if it actually was nominated that year, but somehow wasn't nominated. Um, and looking at that list, it's um, not the strongest. You have Lily winning, and then this film called Above Beyond, Premier to Eternity, fine. Julius Caesar, fine. And then this is Cinerama, um, which apparently doesn't even have doc, uh, doesn't even have um, original music. It's just weird. So yeah, definitely deserve to be nominated. My winner is another Western, The Naked Spur. And 
probably the um is probably the movie that Ron is Lockkeeper deserved to win for this year. Yeah, I mean Naked Spare is a film that I really enjoy and while its score didn't make my list, I'm happy to see the film earn a prize somewhere. So um I know you don't have um uh, uh nominees for best cartoon short film, so I'll just announce my winner. Um my winner is to whistle plunk and boom. Um so next is best international film. Um, my choice for the best international film of this year is Bellissima. Um, it's the only film of this list to make it in more categories than just this international film list for me. And I think while a very easy choice, it's a very deserved choice. It's such a wonderful film, such a great, such great heart on display, wonderfully comedic, wonderfully dramatic, just an overall excellent movie that I adore. A worthy choice. Um, but um, from my nominees, my winner is Tokyo Story, which is just um, fantastic all around and. I may respect it more than I love it, but it may grow on me um, if I give it more watches. But it's hard to say that it doesn't deserve to win here. Just based on the sheer influence it's had on so many filmmakers and audiences, anyone who's watched it. It's one of those essential films you must watch if you're serious about uh, cinephilia. It speaks for itself. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely an excellent film that very much ties into one of our favorite films from the last time we spoke in Make Way for Tomorrow. It's the director um, was fairly inspired by that great 37 feature. So I think if you're going to check out Tokyo Story, you have to check out check out the film that inspired a lot of it in Make Way for Tomorrow. Definitely. So next we have Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, for Adapted Screenplay, I go for Shane again. Um, with its screenplay written by A.B. Guthrie Jr. and Nick Jack Starr. Um, just an excellent Western that stands the test of time, that is very watchable, whoever the audience member is, and I think is a great adaptation. Definitely true. Um, and my winner in this category would have to be Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Just a great, another great Charles Letterer witty scripts. And yeah. And it's, um, it would be a musical that actually deserves to win for its screenplay, unlike some of the ones that have won. I'll just say yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not going to at all be upset at someone choosing general and preferred blondes as the best of any category. And it definitely is a worthy choice, as you mentioned, for its witty screenplay. And also, I think how quick it feels as well goes down to the screenplay where there's a whole lot of scenes, but everyone hits on such a on such the right note that you can't help but love many elements of the film. So um, next we have best original screenplay. Uh, so for original screenplay, I go with Pick Up on South Street by Samuel Fuller and Dwight Taylor. I think it's a great um, noir film from this decade with a lot of surprising elements. I mean, who would have thought that the always charismatically comedic Thelma Ritter would deliver this kind of devastating turn and I think a lot of that is down to this wonderful screenplay that so many of its actors work great wonders with. Definitely true. And my winner is also picked up on South Street. And I think it's one of its greatest achievements is like blending film noir with this spy thriller, um, the spy thriller aesthetic and just managing to be so smoldering and wrap you up in its mystery and adventure while also not feeling too big for its own good. So yeah, Pick Up on South Street. Um, one of the best written of the year. And next we have Best Supporting Actress. And so for Supporting Actress, I go with Gloria Graham as Debbie Marsh in The Big Heat. There is just so much to love about this performance for me. I mean, there are a lot of distinct choices being made from the very outrageous accent work. And I think she's really solid throughout making this fairly amusing character that even more so based on her natural charisma. And I think were she to win in supporting for this film versus the film she won for the year prior, I definitely wouldn't have a lot of questions or misgivings about seeing Graham as an Oscar-winning actress. And um, Graham is great, but... Um... So in my leading category, I go with Thelma Ritter and Pick Up on South Street. And like you said, she is just devastating here. And um, people always say that um, comedy is harder than drama. And in a lot of cases, that is quite true. And there um, is also a long history of comedic actors giving these really great dramatic turns. And Thelma, and Thelma might have been one of the first. Yeah. It I makes mean, me, we're, oh, you go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I mean, we're not for the strength of From Here to Eternity, I think. 
Ritter winning for this film would have been just a great moment. I mean, obviously she never won, gave so many wonderful performances. And I think this film performance is both representative of her career as a whole, but also the ingeniousness that she wasn't possibly allowed to display based on how stuck in the same kind of character mode she was throughout her decades career. Definitely. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, but um, let's just move on to supporting actor. Um, so for supporting actor, oh, you go ahead first. Um, so for supporting actor, my winner is Lee Marvin as Vince Stone in The Big Heat. This is such a frightening and sort of terrifying performance from him. I mean, it all um, climaxes in the throwing of the coffee pot scene where you just are purely scared of him. And I mean, Lee Marvin, the way he performs in many films, feels like he's just turning a switch on in an instant and becomes this menacing force. And I think if he were to win for anything, this should have been the film as it represents the greatest parts of him as a performer. Definitely so. And, um, oh, about Thumbel Ritter, what I was going to say, um, it does make me wonder what her, um, on would it be like if she had played um, uh, the lead character of Comeback Little Shiva? I just wonder what her take would like. I mean, I probably would have enjoyed that film a bit more. I mean, it's probably a controversial take to have in many circles, but I, while I enjoy Boots' work, am left kind of empty by the end and I think Ritter with her very charismatic screen persona might have introduced this new kind of take that may might have made me enjoy that film a lot more than I do I can see that um so for my supporting actor winner I have John Gielgud for Julius Caesar Even though the movie feels um, a bit kind of stagey, I think um, Gil Good is like the shining light in some um, among some pretty great performers, giving um, pretty great performances. He was the MVP for me. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of wonderful acting going on in Julius Caesar, whether you're finding a boring Shakespeare adaptation, I think Gilgood, while not my choice for the standout supporting actor that film is definitely a very worthy performance to award, I think. And next we have Best Leading Actress. And so for Leading Actress, I go with 
Anna Magnani as Madalena Sinsoni uh, in Bellissima. I think this is just purely representative of Magnani's strength on screen. She was both a great tragedy, tragic actress in the role she played, but also could be an excellent comedian as on display in Bellissima. This is Mama Rose and Gypsy before Gypsy ever existed. This is everything an actress of the time would want to play. And Magnani just excels so hard that with very stiff competition in her co-nominees, she was the only choice I could make. I think, again, were this to be the film she won for in this decade, I'd be much happier with her Academy Award win. And I think this performance really stands out as her greatest. And I would have to agree that my winner is also Anna Magnani and Billy Sima. Um, everything you just said, I'll just repeat it again. Um, she's just such a unique presence and a great energy to her and is capable of just turning so many emotions at once. She definitely deserved a win for this. And I'm glad I'm glad I got to see this performance. And I'm glad she's an Oscar winner in general. Whatever you think about her actual Oscar winning turn. So next we have best leading actor. Um, so for leading actor, I go with Montgomery Clift. Um, while I have faults with some parts of From Here to Eternity, none of those are because of Clift. I think this is obviously him at his peak in his power. It's a really emotional turn, a really strong turn. And in a film that features a lot of great performers, it's his performance that I remember best amongst them. And it's unfortunate that he never won. And I think this film and performance would have made an excellent win at the time for him. Definitely. Um, and I also have to go with Montgomery Cliff in From Here to Eternity. Um, this is just um, a shining example of how great he was as an actor among some, among a bunch of truly stellar performances. So I'm glad we get to agree on him here. Um, so next we have Best Director. Um, so for Best Director, I go with always invent as I mentioned earlier the always inventive the always diverse in the films he makes director of Howard Hawks for gentlemen prefer blondes I mean I look at I've seen so many of his films yet none of them are plot wise similar in any way the only similar thing about many of his films are that they're great 
And I think Jenna Prefer Blondes deserves more credit than it's gotten. It's not just a simply great musical film. It's a great film overall. And a lot of that has to do with Hawks's excellent direction for me. Oh, absolutely. Um, which is why I also have to go with Howard Hawks for Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. It's just the most purely entertaining movie of 1953. And features two women who are actually incredibly smart and trick everyone around them into giving them what they want and plays off brilliantly on like the dumb ditz um persona that um people made for these actresses. And it's just so clever and hilarious. Yeah, I mean, Hawks just knows how to make a great film and Jennifer Fur Blondes is just one of probably his probably his best of his I mean, he's made many great films, so choosing one as his best is a very difficult task to do. But I think it's the film that I constantly want to return to. It's just, as you said, so entertaining. It's so satisfying to see these characters succeed and when they fail, have fun in their failure. I think it's an endlessly entertaining movie that you sit down, anyone to watch will find something to enjoy about it. Definitely. Um, did we um, mention costumes yet? Did we mention our, our winner for costumes? Um, I don't think so. I think we... Oh, didn't mention that category. Um, let's do that quickly. Um, um, so for, oh, sorry. Do you need to do an introduction to it or? Um, yeah, let's just do costume design quickly. Yeah, so for costume design, I go with Trevila for general for blondes. As I mentioned, there's just so many iconic costume designs from the Diamonds are a girl best friend, pink and black dress to the two little girls from Little Rock matching red sequin gowns. Every scene, you're marveled by the costumes that these women are wearing. And it's just such excellent work that there was no other film I was going to award this year. Yeah, and I also have to go as gentlemen prefer blondes for costume design. Um, you know, just for that pink dress alone. That alone be enough. And it's one of those movies where the director, the costume designer, everyone working on it and understood the importance of iconography. And just striking images that stick with you long after the movie has ended. So um, now... All we have left is best picture. Um, so my choice, no surprise, is Jenem Prefer Blondes this year, produced by Saul C. Siegel. Um, I've basically said everything I could say about the film. If I were to speak anymore, I feel like I would go on for days. It's just so wonderful. And 
anybody who enjoys Marilyn and any of her other features really needs to check this out. I mean, I would assume that fans of hers praise this film to the high heavens. It's just one of the decade's best. And I'm so glad that every time I watch it, I'm never bored. And I have I have to co-sign you and also reward gentlemen for blondes. It's just uh, like this masterpiece of musical comedy and surprisingly progressive for its time and I think you're muted, Gabe. Sorry. Um, where did I um, leave off? Did I announce my winner yet? Um, yeah, you did announce your winner. Okay, yeah. I was, um, Gentleman Perfect Wants is a masterpiece. Um, that's all I can really say. Yeah, I mean, so many excellent scenes. And there's the scene that all the time will always come up on my Twitter timeline when someone discovers this movie is the by the pool Olympic scene where you just have Jane Russell surrounded by all these scantily underdressed men just doing these acrobatic tricks and it's it's just so fun to watch and I don't know how you can't enjoy it and can't see it as being this excellent film that's much more than the simple mainstream film it presents us from the beginning. There's just so much more going on in the very obvious, at least from a contemporary audience, um, double entendres the characters are speaking in. Obviously, this is made during the time of the code where not a lot could be just shown, but I think through its smart direction, through its just smart every other production element, it's just so endlessly entertaining, so contemporary, so ahead of its time, so of its time, that it's just the easy choice for me. And I enjoy now that the two times I've been on with you discussing a best year in film, we have agreed on the overall winner for a picture prize. Definitely. Oh, so now that we've announced all our winners, do we want to talk about um, the real best picture winner from this year, from here to eternity? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good film. I mean, it makes my, it's just number 11. So it's just make, it's just outside the top 10 of my films of this year. Um. It's, while not as inventive as the films that make my top prize, it's a very notable film for its place in history with its excellent cast or even its iconic scenes, mainly being the kind of beach scene um, of Holden and Kerr. It's definitely not one of the best winners of the category, but certainly not one of the worst winners. It's very in the middle when it comes to the best picture choices of the past 90 plus years. And 
I'd assume if people are listening into this, looking for great 1953 films, they've probably started with, say, From Here to Eternity, based on its major wins at the Academy Awards that year. Um, definitely. And I would, um, I definitely just think it's awards you winner in this category. And I just really like the it's um going for this spectacle and melodrama while also focusing a lot on character moments. And it does back it up with some commentary on male relationships and relationships with their women and how the war changes everything. It could be easy to dismiss it because it could be seen as cheesy, but um, it has that iconic kiss scene on the beach and several filmmakers have tried to make it and uh, 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 filmmakers since then have tried to replicate the formula and often fail like Michael Bay and Pearl Harbor. Um, so I'm glad this movie exists <sighs> so um, I guess did we also want to mention like a couple some of the other films that awarded uh, that were rewarded in the real categories here. Like, I'm thinking of something like Lily. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what is there to say about Lily? I mean, it obviously received a lot of nominations, it's, but it's 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 quite... A, I'm not a fan of any of it. I think it's really creepy and really weird and just a very odd film that... I don't really understand why it was so beloved by enough people to receive over five nominations this year, being one of the top four nominated films of 1953. I certainly don't enjoy any of it. And I think Leslie Caron's performance, while the film's best element, is certainly nothing to write home about for me. It is a strange movie. I almost did. I almost admired its audacity, but it's just so strange that this movie exists and got all these Oscar nominations, like a directing nomination, which I kind of get. But at the same time, this movie got made and was like elevated to this high piece of arts. Um, and it's almost hard to contextualize it. Yeah, I to mean... To be completely honest. Yeah, I mean, it was probably very popular based on how big Corone had been in the, in the Best Picture winner in American in Paris just two years prior. And then when you look at her, especially against Audrey Hepburn, a kind of similar star type, 
you understand why Hepburn ended up as the eventual Best Actress winner because that film, Roman Holiday, is so much more enjoyable and much more focused in on what makes her a really compelling screen performer versus Lily, which while showing off Corone, for me, doesn't show off a lot of great parts of her acting, shows how limited she can be in performing based on how I don't care at all for this film. Um, yeah, I'm not sure it's good. Uh, it's necessarily good, but it is a movie that exists. <laughs> but yeah, I would say overall this year is kind of mixed, even just based on the robe getting in the best picture. Um, again, a very bad movie that looks beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of great 53 films that me for me that weren't eventually nominated, and I think it leads to very bad year for the Oscars in the choices that it made. I mean, the choices feel very Oscar-y and very expected, but when you look at them together, it's such a questionable list. When you had films like Calamity Jane, which did receive some nominations, not make it into the higher categories, it just leads to very mixed reactions for me. Um, so I guess now, um, we'll get to the audience questions. I think we only have, um, one, this is from Emily Pukowski Malik. Um, in your own opinion, what are the best two seconds of films from 1953? Um, best two second seconds of film for me this year come in the Anyone Here for Love musical number from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes when Jane Russell looks at a flexing bicep. Uh... And that's a, definitely a moment that stuck with me as great. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I guess I'd have to go with um, Marilyn Monroe striking that pose in um, Diamonds Are Girl's Best Friend. That's a um, that's a great one um, for me. And again, the striking imagery. And just how Marilyn is having so much fun here. Yeah. It all comes back to Gentlemen for Blondes. It really does, at least for us too. Yeah. Um, so, um, thank you, Owen, for agreeing to um, 
uh, come back onto this podcast. Um, it was such a pleasure talking with you about the poems of 1953. Yeah, no, thank you for having me back on. And it gave me an excuse to revisit some of these excellent movies, specifically Gem for Blondes, which if anyone can take anyone from this podcast recording is if you've not seen the film, you must instantly go out and watch it because it will be in 90 minutes of your life that you'll never want to take back. It's just an excellent and enjoyable movie and I'm so happy to discuss my love for it. And um, just quickly, um, um, uh, since the next batch of Oscar nominations and um, since Oscar nominations are coming up like next to this Tuesday, um, like what are your what's going to be your general reaction towards it? Um, I mean, I think I've definitely been more distant from the awards season this year. Um, I hope to see a lot of nominations for The Power of the Dog. I expect to see a lot of nominations for that movie. And then kind of the rest of the major films in discussion. I'm not particularly passionate about. I mean, Belfast is something that I watched months ago and now totally forget and have no plans on revisiting. So I guess I'm hopeful that with a strong dominance that hopefully happens for Power of the Dog, that the film can ride its momentum and be the eventual picture winner. Um, I'll be interested to see the list and then hopefully based on that list, I can complete my film viewing for the year 2021 and talk about my own choices for that year when the time eventually comes. Yeah, that sounds like a um. That sounds like a um. Good way to um, spend the rest of these awards here, which has been exhausting, and I can't wait for it to end. Um. So um oh, and how can we find you on social media as well as your um, awards blog? Yeah, I mean, you can find me find me mainly on Twitter at um own daily and then through that twitter page you can find my letterboxed and then further my blog of an irish person awards um i just love talking about movies and while i haven't watched a lot recently i'm sure once i have some free time in my life i will be revisiting and discovering films that i've not seen yet so just look out for me talking about films and tv as well there's always a lot of great things going on. Yeah, nice, definitely. Um, um, so you can find me on Twitter at Gabe the Joker. You can find me on Instagram at Gabe Guarin. Um, and of course, Gabe the Joker comes with two underscores. My um, it, Gabe Guarin comes with a single underscore. And um, you can find me on Letterbox at Mr. Hulo. Um, you can find the Alternate Oscars um, Twitter account at Alternate Oscars. Um, I also have a Patreon 
um, page for this um, podcast that, you, that I'll post in the description. Um, be sure to rate and review this podcast um, for visibility's sake. And also um, subscribe through your choice of server. And until the next episode, sit back and relax. Cheers and enjoy. And thanks for listening to the Alternate Oscars.